finds Dodds. This is for Shida. Brilliant play from Shida. United ripped apart again in the back. And Duncan Shida makes it two. A great goal this. Hammerstone's pass. Picking out Billy Dodds. He played the pass out. He knew Shida was there. He was quick enough. One touch only. Drawing the ball beyond the hand. And there's no one better in the country in that position. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the AFC Here We Go podcast. My name is Martin Clunas. I'm delighted to be back with you all as well. We've got a packed show this evening. Joining me as always, it's great to hear from you again this week. It's Richard Hay. Evening, Martin. How are you? I'm not doing too bad, thanks, Richard. It's always great to have this have this guy on. Uh, he's been on the podcast a few times, always entertaining. Um, it's Michael Grant. How are you doing, Michael? I'm very well, Martin. Nice to, uh, nice to be back on. Thanks for having me. That's no problem. Now... We've got a bit of a different, um, a different kind of flavour of the podcast this, this week. Um, we're obviously going to speak about the St Mirren game from the weekend, but you don't need to hear us for the twentieth time tell you that St Johnson are a stuffy side and very difficult to break down. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually look back uh, to season ninety four and ninety five. Sure, we'll, sure, Richard. Uh, Michael and myself will have some interesting opinions on this one uh, But we're going to go first We're going to go back to Saturday afternoon So Richard, uh, St Mirren at home Finished up being a 2-2 draw We kind of hinted at this last week But I think there was definitely a feeling That we could, you know, going around the ground And especially sitting in the stands That we just needed to turn up and win this game uh, Some of the stuff online was quite rightly you know, ex- you know, Predicting you know, a big victory you know, Compared to the buzz, the obvious buzz of say a week past Wednesday um, there just wasn't there wasn't that there. Um, I think that I personally think that perhaps would be translated onto the pitch as well. Not helped by the fact that injuries and suspensions again have caused caused the the starting eleven to be mixed up. Well, there's one thing the crowd having that approach and that attitude, um, which is obviously a dangerous one to have. But I'm sure it's one we all shared because let's be honest, St. Mirren twelve points before Saturday had looked an utter rabble. Uh, the two times they'd been at Pataudry beforehand and uh, despite the change of manager had had looked no likelier to uh, move off the bottom of the table so dangerous if uh, the players were thinking that and I'm sure certainly the management team weren't thinking that however I think what you got from the crowd even more than usual was a, a a dissatisfaction when things, you know, weren't immediately going our way. I think I heard the first moaning and groaning from around me in about five minutes. Now, obviously, you hope that uh, the players can block that out and it shouldn't impact them, but it's bound to have some sort of impact. It's very unusually, I thought, as well, as the game went on, instead of, um, you know, McInnes is usually fairly cautious in terms of how he approaches the game. Well, it was it was anything but in terms of some of his uh, formation changes uh, as the game went on. But I'm sure we'll talk about that. Michael Devlin came back in and, you know, we're glad that he came back in. However, he looked a long way short of um, where he had been uh, before he got that serious injury. I think it's noticeable that the run-out uh, games in December... Now, there's a lot of factors, perhaps, behind 
why we managed to kickstart ourselves into some sort of form. It could be that Conor McLennan was a spark we needed. It could just be getting a settled front to your Cosgrove in May. But noticeably, that run in December is the only time we managed to play the same back four for more than three consecutive games this season, which is, it's never a good place to start from. And certainly defensively, we we were all over the place yet again on Saturday. And whilst, obviously, you're pointing the finger at lack of creativity further up the park and the fact that we haven't done more to go and win the game, two goals at home against the Mirrens should have been enough to win it. It was overly cavalier, I thought, at times, but and that certainly wasn't helped by a defence that's still uh, struggling to uh, reintroduce themselves to one another. Particularly in these games, Michael, obviously, it's the importance of getting, going ahead and getting the early goal. Unfortunately, we go behind an unbelievably stupid penalty to give away. Sam Cosgrove, I think, will be the first to tell you that he isn't a defender. You know, everybody now knows that as well. We were always chasing this game. Um, I, th- I felt that it was similar to Stenhouse Muir and Queen of the South, where we saw lots of the ball, but didn't really, weren't really able to do much with it. Uh, but then when you're chasing, there's that kind of over-urgency, perhaps... Yeah, I, I mean, I think any any Premier League team, we we should never really be entirely dismissing them. I mean, Richard's probably spot on with that kind of um, assessment of how the fans felt at St Mirren coming up because our, our record against St Mirren is so strong, and and you know recent visits have I've seen three or four goals being put in past them. So I think maybe there was a kind of um, probably an inclination to to take it easy and, and or to be complacent about it, but. I think any Premier League team that comes up here, and especially when it scores first, as, as they did, would get such a lift from that. I mean, it's not obviously it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, they would have come up fearing another spanking. So when they go 1-0 up, you know, we, we've seen it ourselves. We've seen how Aberdeen benefit from um, from, from taking the lead, for, for example, at Ibrox. Um, and, and, you know, that's obviously given them such a lift. Now, you, you guys will be able to tell me whether the... Um, whether the injury to Tommy Hoban, you know, had an influence on 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 the atmosphere. I mean, it certainly kind of deflated my afternoon, but I, I know it came just on the end of the first half. So, so maybe the interval kind of uh, interrupted that. But, but I must admit, when when Aberdeen equalised, I, I, you know, again, it's whether it's complacency or a little bit of arrogance, you just assume that well, that's it. That'll that'll be St Mirren put away in due course now. So when they scored again. You know, you think well, it's, it's clearly it's just going to be one of those days. McInnes gets a lot of criticism, as, as you know, um, from uh, supporters for the tactics and for generally being quite a cautious manager. So it's interesting to hear that um, you know he may have been a, a bit too committed to, to, to going for the victory. If you look at it, the home games, uh, you know, if, if, if they were complacent or there was a general feeling of complacency at home at St Mirren. That also seemed to be the case at Stenhouse Muir, uh, the home game, and the first half against Queen of the South was 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 awful as well. I mean, I, I went to Oakle View and I saw the replay, and I, I I couldn't really get my head around how Aberdeen hadn't taken care of Stenhouse Muir in the first game. So you know whether these are all kind of uh, whether there's a trend here that Aberdeen maybe struggled to get the tempo and the urgency and the quality. In, in games that they think they're going to be okay in the long run. I mean, it, that's not an insignificant problem for a team to have. I mean, they, they, they need to be able to get the right mentality for games like that. I think the joke, really, Michael, is that we have been really successful at putting these sort of sides away. In fact, our league points total over the last few seasons has been absolutely built on this. 
Totally, Richard. I would say that's been almost the, the, the greatest strength of McInnes' reign. You know, he, he wins about, what, six, seven out of ten games? You know, and, and, it, and it's these kind of games that he would uh, routinely win. Yeah, and the home form in particular this season. I mean, we've now we've only won nine out of eighteen home games. We've actually got a better winning percentage on the road this season than at home. It's almost like an extension of some of the difficulties we've had in home ties in Europe. Just maybe not knowing quite how to approach it. But yeah, tactically, it was really quite fascinating to watch. Obviously, we started off with a, a fairly flat back four, Tommy Hoban at right back. I kind of understand the first change to going to what was essentially a three with Hoban playing ahead of the uh, centre-halves. It meant sacrificing Lewis Ferguson to a sort of right wing-back role and he didn't look comfortable there all day and it also probably contributed to Guy Mackay-Stevens' poor afternoon, to be perfectly honest. I could get that because initially Duncan's Nazon was actually causing us some problems by sort of drifting in behind where the full-backs had been attacking and was definitely unsettling us um, playing the lone striker role. So I could sort of see and understand that. But then later on in the game, you bring off Max Lowe and you throw in like James Wilson. And there's half an hour to go at this point, albeit we're 2-1 down, so we do need a goal. But that's the point where I thought the sort of logical nuanced McInnes kind of lost it for a second it was just a case of throwing bodies and in the last 10 minutes of the game we get the old tactic back it used to be Ash Taylor throwing up top for the last 10 minutes it was Andy Considine this time <laughs> it, it was remarkable it was like a 2-2-6 for those last few minutes and if anything yeah. it made us less likely to look like scoring because yeah. people were getting in each other's way Simone obviously sitting deeper and deeper it was harder to get in behind them so we're so good at front running um, not just this season, but throughout Derek McInnes' reign, we have been really, really good once we get in front at maintaining that lead and getting the three points. So it's doubly frustrating that, you know, now McGinn doesn't put away what is a 10 out of 10 chance. It's, it, it's as close to a sitter as you'll get, really, in that yeah. situation. And um, I think, you know, we, we score that, and I think we, we probably end up having a very comfortable afternoon, probably much like the Dundee game, except we don't score that, and we have an afternoon much more similar to the Livingston game recently, except on that occasion we got the goal to death to win it. Um, and those are the fine margins, because I think we could have been th- saying exactly the same about that Livingston game as we are now saying about, the, uh, about Saturdays. I mean, the, the, the point uh, on McGinn, I mean, I noticed on the sports sound, um, sports scene, sorry, uh, analysis of the Queen of the South game when, and, and McGinn's uh, brilliant contribution to that. And Michael Stewart was saying, well, you know, that's when Aberdeen are at the best when McGinn's coming in off the left. And he's like, well, yeah, but McGinn's never, nor- he's, he's not been consistently as good as he was in that Queen of the South game. And you probably saw it demonstrated straight away with that miss um, uh, on, on Saturday there. I mean, I, you know, I, I think the world in eye on him again, but I mean, he, he doesn't mind putting the ball over the bar. You know, <laughs> he says, the amount of times I've seen him do it with, uh, with shots over the years has been uh, has been remarkable, really, for a guy of his quality. Yeah, I think there were legitimate criticisms of McGinn this season, but when it comes down to the numbers, no one is coming close to him in terms of assists this season. That's partly down to the quality of this dead balls that you can put in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if we can't if we can't replace that elsewhere in the team, then you know it's almost important to have him in the starting eleven for that, almost alone. I, I read the other day that and you, you, you guys are, are far better on top of this than I am, but uh, Mackay Stevens' uh, stats are not as impressive as you might have thought in terms of assists. Is that, is that right? Yeah, he hasn't had one since the 6th of October. Now, even allowing for his... Uh, 
long spell out. Um, that, that's pretty drastic. So as much as he certainly was getting bums off seats uh, and going, you know, even on Saturday, there were times when he'd be drifting past a couple of players and, you know, being fouled and brought down and getting us dead ball situations. In terms of that, uh, you know, that final contribution that's maybe been lacking this season. Understandably, there's been a call to get Conor McLennan in, who is very direct. And mm. in his 15 minutes on the pitch on Saturday, we saw evidence of that. Certainly when it comes to next Saturday, you know, we get a bit closer towards the end of the season. And I think the obvious realisation that both Mackay Stephen and Graham Cheney are away. And I, I don't understand quite why the club continues to let this drag on. If they genuinely believe there's a chance of those two staying, then it, it bucks everything we've seen over the past couple of years, to be perfectly honest. At, one, at some point, you're going to have to look to the future. Especially if Gary Mackay Stevens isn't changing games for you, which he really hasn't been doing for for quite a while now. Yeah. That was one thing as well. It was a bit a source of frustration towards the end of the game, Richard. I mean, you sit not far from me, so you'll have seen it as well. That um, McLennan just didn't seem to be getting the ball. He seemed to be finding himself in a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of good positions and lots of space on the right hand side. I thought I would have loved to have seen McLennan maybe a bit earlier in the game have a chance because, like you say, there he is so direct. Um, yeah, I mean, perhaps he could, he could have been a change early in the game instead of Wilson, for example. But hindsight is always perfect. Yes. As I alluded to earlier, I think the fact that you didn't have a sort of natural right wing back behind um, Mackay Stephen earlier on and then McLennan when he came on probably didn't help. Ferguson wasn't overlapping in a way like Max Lowe was on the other side. He, he just wasn't able to offer this sort of positional support. Uh, that someone more used to that role would would be able to. Certainly, if uh, be it Guy McKay Stephen or be it Nam again aren't delivering, then they need to be replaced, and we need to give the guys uh, behind them in the queue a good shot at this. I think Nam again certainly can point to his record this season more than uh, Mackay Stephen can. To be perfectly honest, there's a familiarity breeds contempt in our support, and you, you see it. Throughout the team, you see it with Andy Considine, you see it with even Graham Shinney now, but you definitely see it with Nam again. Make sure that you, you factor that into the sort of criticism that you get, because he is still, as I say, being far and away our most creative player this season. What you might see, Richard, and, and, and again, you guys are, are there every home game, so you're, you're, you're closer, far closer to the mood of the fans than I am, but you might see a little cooling towards Mackay, Stephen, and even Shinney. In the uh, you know in the coming weeks, if it, if it becomes increasingly clear that um, that we don't think they're going to stay, I mean I think you know I I, I would have the same interpretation of things as you do. You know that uh, the longer this goes on without any positive news, pretty much can can leads us to believe that there won't be positive news and they'll, and they'll both go. I don't think you can take Shinny out of the team, but if Mackay Stevens's um, performances are, are not uh, as effective as they, as they have been in the past, then yeah, ease him out and ease McLennan and just let McLennan get some more game time and, and, and let him do more growing as a first-team player. Um, it doesn't need to be dramatic, you know, we're not talking about um, bringing any axe down on anybody, but um, I think it makes sense and it's, it's about managing a situation that if Mackay Stevens isn't going to be here next season and McLennan is, you know, bleed him in more. Yeah, and there's absolutely no question that um, that is beginning. The mood is beginning to crystallise against certainly Mackay Stephen and probably Shinny as well, which is a little bit ridiculous. Certainly in the latter case, where 
he is still pretty integral to the way we play the game at our best. I think you also you also start to judge players a little bit more harshly, don't you, if you think they're leaving. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, you, you the, the kind of rose-tinted spectacles come off a little bit and you're just thinking, well, you know, you're, you're just less impressed by them if you think that they're not staying there. That, that might not be particularly fair, but I think it's the way, the, the way that we think as football fans. Oh, of course, it's the whole, and it's partly the kind of whole jilted boyfriend thing as well, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you just, um, oh yeah, well I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Again, young players when they first break into the team, they get much more leeway than a Mackay Stephen or a McGinn will get naturally, and it's only right that that should happen. People can turn very quickly. I mean, we've seen it with Scott Wright, who suddenly went from promising youngster that we want to get in the team every week couple of times he doesn't really grab the opportunity and, and the knives are right out for him now of course we swing back the other way Scott Wright goes to Dundee starts some games, scores some good goals and everyone's like oh he should have been playing for us on Saturday when transparently no he shouldn't, he's no. at the right place for his development right now and yeah. uh, making the kind of impact and contribution which um, he needs to be making in those key games to prove that he has a future at Aberdeen yeah. but it's great though isn't it I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, be great if he scored every week for them because uh, you know if, if if a spell of regular first team football starting every week is what takes him to the next level, then all the better for us. The Don support could be looking forward to Scott Wright and Conor McLennan on the wings next season, and that would excite people. And the young Scottish came up through the ranks on their day can be very it can be near to unplayable. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier on, Richard, about the about the back four. Um, so unfortunately, we've got to talk about another injury. Um, and it looks like a pretty bad one this time as well. Tommy Hoban um, kind of went down. Um, he's just he's not had any kind of luck really when he's been up here. Um, as you, Michael, um, clearly there's a clearly there's a really talented player there. I mean, obviously he's only here on loan because you know he's had injury issues and he's he's looking to try and get you know back to somewhere that he was. Um, but this this one doesn't look good again for him. Oh, it's heartbreaking, really. Uh... I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was—I've I, only really just um, been introduced to Tommy Hoban as, as an Aberdeen player because I wasn't able to go to the Burnley game. So, I, 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 you know, and all I heard then was how much uh, of, an, of, of a good first impression he'd made on the supporters. I know he played another three or four games or whatever it was then, but uh, then he got the shoulder injury. So I, he was a guy that I was desperate to see, and um, you know, finally did see him over the last. Uh, Month or so, and then to to, uh, to be listening on the radio on Saturday when when he went down like that, and pretty obviously you you know you you get a kind of instinct for these things in a sense, and and, and it, it was pretty clear straight away that it was it was looking like a serious one. And I look back at his injury record, and you know, sure enough, he's had cruciate ligament problems before. Um, you know, and that, that's pretty much what um, maybe maybe what helped us get him in the first place because Watford needed to get him up here playing football. So for a guy that's already had long term injuries and, and just how soul destroying it must be for a player to have to rebuild his game again and again. So you, you can understand the, the kind of howl and the, 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 the tears that um, that he uh, he showed on uh, Saturday. I'm, I mean, maybe this is a, a wrong way to look at it, but I did wonder. I mean, he's a free agent in the summer, and I actually wondered whether, in, in some daft, perverse way, whether this might end up helping Aberdeen's prospects of getting him on a on a long term contract in, in the summer if um, 
if, if he becomes a free agent and he's still being being treated. But I mean, who knows? I mean, what you know, we don't know what his um, his motivations will be or his priorities will be. But the little I've seen of Hoban, I really liked him. Uh, I think he just looks really comfortable on the ball. Um, I thought he looked quite a class act, to be honest with you. So for him to be for him to be kind of taken right out of the team as soon as Devlin's back in um, it, it is, is is pretty demoralising for Aberdeen. But I, I must admit, first of all, your thoughts go to, to the boy himself because he's just had hellish bad luck. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously we sit here right now not knowing the full extent of it and we, we hope that it's not quite as serious as it appears. But I think almost the worst thing about this is it's if, um, if the initial diagnosis is, is accurate, it's the it's his other knee. It's not the knee that he damaged in the past. It's his other one. Now that just uh, is incredibly bad luck. One thing, react you know, reaggravating an old injury. Um, that happens to footballers every week. But yeah, I mean, in the course of his short time with us, to have the the shoulder surgery, to have this, it's just yeah. Um, you wonder, you wonder, looking at the, you know, looking at the negative side of it, if um, if this might be it for him. There's only so many knocks that a, that a body can take and continue to play sports that, at the top level. That's really interesting, Richard, because I wasn't sure if it was the same knee or or, or the other one. And I mean, I suppose uh, certainly in terms of bad luck, <coughs> it, it, it's incredible that both knees should be injured. In terms of recovery, maybe it's beneficial that it's not the same knee. I mean, maybe if it was the same knee or the second time, you would be thinking maybe there's not a way back from this. Um, but in either case, I mean, he is going to have to be mentally strong, not only to get back through it, but to, to play with confidence and, and to play with bravery, you know, when he is back in the first team, because you know, that's going to ask big questions of him psychologically and the you know, from the, from what I've read about him and his recoveries in the past, people have praised his mental strength. So, you know, he's going to have to draw on that again. Yeah, totally. And of course, you're always watchful with a player like this now as well. There was a point in the Queen of the South game when it looked like he'd twined his shoulder again, and you know, everyone around me uh, when I was um, lording it in the main stand that uh, that afternoon, as opposed to normally slumming it in the South, was kind of mm, just. Being a bit wary, being a bit watchful over him for the next five ten minutes, but but no, according yeah. according to McInnes, um, immediately post match, it was the was the other knee, which is just wretched, wretched luck. Uh, but obviously, you know, our thoughts are with him, and um, yeah, hopefully it doesn't actually turn out to be quite as bad as it seemed. But God, you know, you could you could you heard a scream in the south stand, so wasn't a good thing. Now, one thing that happened on Saturday as well, um, probably for the first time ever, um, Aberdeen fans were happy to hear uh, Derek Ferguson's voice uh, as he ex- as, as he exclusively announced on the BBC, uh, much to Derek McInnes' annoyance, that Lewis Ferguson was going to put pen to paper uh, and sign an extension to his deal. Uh, now, it's it's exactly what we want to hear, uh, Michael. Um, you know, he said his own talk says he's loving life at Aberdeen. Um, happy to extend it, you know. Um, he's been, no, it's obviously not been signed yet, but um, and you could tell in the post-match interview, Derek McInnes was really was really annoyed. He doesn't like this kind of stuff coming out. It's you know, he likes to do business on the quiet and get things sorted his own way. Um, but a young player like his, him, sorry, um, nineteen years old, just it's it's a really great bit of business. Yeah, it's terrific. I mean, I was listening to it when Derek Ferguson. Uh 
suddenly came out with this when I'm unprompted, and I'm I'm I burst out laughing. You know, not only because I was really pleased with the news, but I also the kind of mischievous side. I thought oh, McInnes is going to hate this. You know, he he likes to have control. Aberdeen as a club like to have control over the news, over the news agenda, and um, he'll be spitting feathers when uh, when he's asked about this post match, and um, it's already come out. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. The main thing is that um, that Ferguson uh, that Ferguson wants to stay and, and uh, has or is about to sign this contract, and that, that's what I mean. Derek Ferguson, whatever Aberdeen fans think of him, he, he does speak with kind of passion and uh, quite a, quite an emotional guy on the on the radio when he's doing the Radio Scotland stuff, and that passion or that kind of relayed passion of his son about Aberdeen came across. The club seems to have made such a terrific impression on Ferguson and, and that he really sees this as being the place that he wants to be. I mean, if he keeps developing at the rate he's at, we're not going to have him for the length of this contract, but uh, it, w- it would mean getting another two, two and a half seasons out of him and then getting good money. And I think any of us would take that right now. But um, he's a really exciting player. And he's this is a, this is a McInnes signing when he's at his best in the transfer market, I think. Taking... taking whether it's experience or, or prospects from other uh, uh, SPFL clubs and um, getting them into the Aberdeen side, I think I think most of McInnes's really uh, re- really successful signings have, have come from that background. You think of Kenny McLean and Shinny, and um, uh, well Rooney Rooney I guess had already been down south, but you know he, he'd proven himself in Inverness. So you know that that that, that kind of background. So Ferguson, excellent. Well, you, you know I've had my criticisms of Lewis Ferguson this season, Martin, but it'd be churlish not to acknowledge the impact he continues to make. Another goal on Saturday, obviously. I think what it is about Lewis that uh, excites you is that is obviously the potential that the, he could become any number of different types of midfield player at this point because he, I think, he has the weapons in his armory to be to be a number of different types of player, and that's exciting. I mean, he was already signed up to 2022, so it's looking like this will be him signed. Uh, it's going to be 2024, judging by um, judging by the snippets that have come out. Which is the football world we live in now. Contracts mean very, very little, but it means if someone does want to dislodge him, they're going to have to pay pretty serious money. That is, of course, assuming he continues his development, which we which we all believe he will. Certainly, seems like he's going to be a mainstay in the middle of this uh, Aberdeen team for the next couple of years. I'll tell you, Richard. I mean, it's interesting that you that you have, you know, that you still think that there's more to come from him because I've had a kind of good-natured argument with a pal of mine who who thinks the world of Ferguson and, and <coughs> respect that view entirely. But I also think there's more to come from him. I think there's, there's there's spells and games where he's quite quiet and you don't really notice him. Now I know that he does good little things and good things off the ball as well. But I think he's got so much potential. There's a lot more to come from him yet. You know, I like his attitude. His goals tally is beginning to creep up into into real respectability for a midfielder. I like he's he's got that kind of steeliness. He's got that kind of ballsiness. You've seen him stand up to Scott Brown. You've seen him stand up to McGregor. Um, you know, not taking any um, not taking any nonsense from these guys. You know, <laughs> uh, and I mean that, that, you're going to need that. You're going to need to be able to stand up to them. Um, and I see you know guys talking about whether he's future captain material. I would say he would be. I mean, you know, give it, give it, give it a couple of years yet, but um, the way he's going, I think he's potential captain material. But at the moment, I would like to see more from him. I mean, I, th- I think he's capable of more. 
Um, and there are, there are spells when I when I don't really notice them, and I think I, I just like to see you really take a game by the by the scruff of the neck and, and dominate it because I think in time he'll be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, that's almost exactly the point I was going to make. That you know he's coming, he's come into this team and looked at home in a side at top end of the Premiership table, which is great credit to him, given that he'd only really started about 16, 17 games at Hamilton, I think. But, yeah, that next step is to actually start dominating these games, start standing out. I think, in some respects, he's almost, kind of, almost mirrored what Graham Shinney's approach to the game is. He's been combative, he's been physical in that midfield, which is fine. But, yeah, the next step is to, to start really leaving his mark in the midfield, he's scoring goals, which is great. But then again, we waited like two years for Kenny McLean to really step up and dominate yeah. games. So, and that was the guy at 24, 23, 24 when we signed him. So, so maybe we're, we're expecting a bit much too soon. But uh, I, I can see that, and I can I can definitely see improvements in his game. And as I say, it could be that he goes into a number of different directions. I think he's got the skill set to be a really uh, one one of a sort of technical gifted. Uh, midfielders who, who like a Jim Bet style who will pass. Jim Bet obviously had a bit of a physical side to him as well. Or he, or he could turn into a shiny type. He could turn into the ball winner. He, he could develop that engine more. It, it, as I say, I think there's there's more to come and uh, it'll be exciting to watch him develop. He, he, he does some really clever things which aren't immediately obvious. And I mean, they're easy to, they're easy to miss unless you kind of watch a, a move or a goal again. And the one I'm thinking about really is the the Bruce Anderson goal against Rangers on the opening day. Ferguson does a really lovely, clever run that pulls Tavernier away, and it just gives Anderson that bit more space to get the shot away. And I thought, if he meant that, and I'm sure he did, that was really clever for a boy of his age. Yeah, sort of dummy over the ball, yeah. Yeah. Well, we certainly look forward to seeing more of Lewis Ferguson in a red shirt anyway. Um, I think we're all... We're all not just the three of us here that we're all delighted that he's he's going to be. I mean, it's obviously not been it's not been a hundred percent signed yet, but um, no, we're delighted that it's going to be done anyway. So we're going to move on to our special topic now. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it would be it would be even more amateur of us than we normally are to have someone of Michael Grant Grant's stature and skill on, and not put his put his memory to test, and we go back because we're going to review. I think what would we call this, Richard, a roller coaster season? Statue and skill. Are you trying to loan money yeah. from him or something? Yeah. You know what? You know this sounds like a very kind of. It's like a euphemism for old. Oh no, 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 of no. Old Crampsy style. <laughs> Let's dust this guy down and, and dread him. You're not quite, you're not quite one of the elder statesmen yet, but yeah, like Harry Yorston, what we know, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but carry on. Uh, no problem. So anyway, our special special subject this week, we're going to talk about, um, like I said, probably I think we say a roller coaster season. Um, back to 1994 and 1995, we've got, there's a lot to start with here. We did see over the summer there was a huge clear out, but we did finish, we finished second the previous season. Obviously manager at the time, the club's greatest ever player, Willie Miller, who'd seen a, a clear out of players. We'd saw guys like Alex McLeish, Jim Bett, Lee Richardson, Bobby Connor leave. Um, this was going to be this was going to be another big season for Aberdeen, wasn't it? Well, of course, the stated aim for Billy Miller was that second wasn't good enough, despite the fact that uh, obviously he had a huge financial hurdle to to overcome to to try and rein in Rangers at the top. Uh, I don't know if this sounds familiar to the current situation or not, but uh, obviously in one fell swoop, 
that summer you let go a tremendous range of experience and guys in Connor and Bet certainly. McLeish went to another Premier League club, but he went as player manager and only played half a dozen times or so. But Connor and Bet moved on to other Premiership teams, so guys who could still do a job at that level were being moved out of the club. Lee Richardson left, you know, I believe he wanted to keep him, but money was spent bringing in replacements. Guys like Billy Dodds, who performed well at other SPL clubs, but not at SPL clubs with aspirations for challenging at the top end of a title. And then other guys who. I think it's fair to say the support maybe questioned at the time. Guys like Peter Heatherston, John Ingalls, um, were they going to be good enough to fill the boots of Alex McLeish and Jim Bett? Well, we kind of got our answer as that season went on. But certainly early on, first day of the season, home to Hearts, pretty routine 3-1 win. Billy Dodds gets a goal early on. Hugh Robertson bangs in a free kick from 25 yards. There's a kind of guarded optimism. But then three days later, we get the Scontoriga game at Pitodri. Michael, do you do you remember that one? Yeah, I do, because I suppose in some ways it wasn't just the first uh, real embarrassment, you know, horrendous embarrassment for Aberdeen in Europe, but um, it, it, it almost set the standard at the time for Scottish football. I mean, the, the, the mocking and the, the derision that Aberdeen got uh, for losing to Scontoriga was um, was really uh, was was considerable, you know, and and then over over the next what what are we talking twenty years twenty five years almost, um, you know, it really was just the first of a catalogue of these kind of results. And if, if memory serves, it's going to really not go on to deliver quite a notable result themselves a few couple of seasons later. But but anyway, at the time. Absolutely horrendous. Yeah, there was a, a, a huge inquest, obviously, after after you lose a game like that. And again, you're only talking 11 years since Gothenburg back then. You know, th- that was really fresh in the memory. And to have fallen so far so soon, it, it just it kind of put people's noses out of joint, I think. And that first half of the season, I guess it, in some respects it was a continuation of the season before because we had drawn so many games in season 93-94 and obviously looking to bring Billy Dodds in, looking to bring creative talent in, he was hoping to try to turn that around and turn some of those draws into wins. But we kept drawing games we should have won and then we were losing games we should have been drawing. And even the League Cup, I think we beat Partick and Falkirk on the way and it was an entirely winnable game against Celtic, who I think that season maybe finished fourth or fifth. I think they were vying with Falkirk for fourth place. I think that's that tells you a lot about where Celtic were at at that point. Yeah. And, of course, they lost the League Cup final that year to Wraith Rovers. So as bad as losing a Cup semi-final was, at least it gave us that in return. And, and my memory of that game at Ibrox is, um, is nothing to do with the actual football, apart from the fact Brian O'Neill, of all people, scored against us. But it was David Robertson who'd obviously transferred to, to Rangers a couple of years ago, thinking it was a good idea to turn up in the Aberdeen end at Ibrox. Yep. That went about yep. as well as you expect it to go. I, it, I remember that, yeah. I, I was in the, the behind the goal that night, but it was the Copeland Road end, wasn't it? It was the opposite end from where Aberdeen fans would normally be if memory serves me right. Um, I've spoken to David Robertson subsequently and uh, good lad and all the rest of it. Um, good guy to speak to. <laughs> um, uh, and he's spoken about that night and um, yeah, I can't quite get my head around why he thought it would be a good idea. So he would, He'd just still be a current Rangers player then, yeah? Oh yeah. 
area to go and sit in Ibrox with the Aberdeen support that he'd uh, left a few seasons earlier. Yeah, no, not uh, no, not <laughs> not a clever move. I guess, in fairness, he probably wouldn't have got a good reception at the other end either. Yeah, that would have been it would have been sort of much of a muchness, would it not? <laughs> <laughs> Just don't go, David. Don't go to that game. <laughs> So many draws in that first half of the season. Um, I think up until December, I think there was only two wins. It gave us the fear and probably probably told us that we were in for a really big struggle there. Um, and I think, like you mentioned there, you no know, drawn games that really we should have won. You know, there's you, you look at some of those games there and you go through them. Um, you know, games that we really should have been put into bed. R- coming up for right about Christmas, um, we get a win at Fir Park, and we've got. A very interesting chant. We've got, are you watching Glasgow Press? Do you think they were watching, Michael? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to remember if I was at that game. I was <laughs> literally watching from behind the goal. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't remember that one, uh, Martin, the, that, that chant, although I, I, I know I read about it subsequently. But um, I just, I mean, you've got to remember how how expectations and perceptions or whatever changed during the course of that that league season because I mean you know we were starting it thinking right are we, are we putting a league challenge in here so w- when the first few points are dropped you think well listen we're giving Rangers a, a lead here and you know it's getting harder and harder with every passing week more draws and drop points and you think we're really we're really slipping out of the title race here and then it just you know as the weeks go on because Aberdeen had never been in a relegation battle. You know, that that, that was the thing. I mean, not since uh, the mid-70s had Aberdeen really been in much danger of going down. So the, the, the whole mindset of being in a relegation battle wasn't something that was uh, was in the heads of the Aberdeen support. And I mean, we'll, we'll come to the kind of conclusion of the season, obviously, in a, in a minute. But I think it did, or certainly for me, it reset the, the whole um, mentality of being an Aberdeen supporter, and and you suddenly realised that relegation was something that could happen to your club, you know. And which which I grew up without really having that awareness that that Aberdeen realistically could could uh, get themselves sucked into that trouble. And and to be honest, that stayed with me for uh, it's maybe not ever entirely left. To be honest with you, that your, your first priority in a season is to stay up, which was something that was just unthinkable beforehand. You know, so, so to, to go back to, to that point, it, 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 the, the are you watching Glasgow Press thing, I guess, would just be like a, an expression of relief that um, I would imagine that by then some of the stick, I'm looking at it here, the games before that were a defeat to Kilmarnock, a defeat to Rangers, lost to Patrick Thistle, draw with Hibs, lost to Falkirk. So, you know, the whole mood, the whole coverage around the club at that time would have been really negative, aggressively negative. And I dare say some of the headlines would have been pretty extreme. So that Motherwell victory would have been the supporters just just releasing, I guess, releasing a bit of uh, frustration and, and, and animosity. Now, as it turns out, prematurely, because it, 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 didn't really, it didn't really herald any great change in the season, did it? Yeah, I mean, I think that is probably just the start of the siege mentality, which really we see come to the fore later in the season that obviously people elsewhere were taking great 
glee in our situation, including, lest we forget, the people down the road at Tanadice, who at that stage of the season were in no danger whatsoever. They were loving it. They were absolutely loving it. So I think, you know, what you get there is, is the first stages of that siege mentality that really kicks in. And you really get that sort of bond forming between team and the fans, which, you know, maybe when things are going okay, things are going well, you know, you're finishing second, not winning trophies, you maybe don't develop that as well as you do in adversity, which that point about it being alien to be at the foot of the table, it absolutely was. It just, And I think for the not just for the support, but for the people in that dressing room largely as well. So obviously guys like Dodds and Ingalls, as we said, had spent time fighting relegation with St Johnston prior to moving to Aberdeen, so many people in that dressing room just would have had no experience of having to go out and battle and really fight for those points week in, week out. Yeah. But then about Christmas, it did seem as if we put a few results together. I think we went maybe sixth unbeaten. It was just a belief that, right, we're going to have enough quality, we're going to have enough about us to get away from this. We'll surely be fine. Then, just a couple of weeks after Christmas, I think we go to Easter Road and we're a bit chaotic, we lose 4-2, we go to Rugby Park, we subsequently become a total graveyard for Don's uh, managers, lose 3-1, never look like taking a thing, in fact we lose all four games to come on that season, that's how grim the situation was, and uh, <laughs> Willie Miller, unthinkably, um, gets sacked by Aberdeen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I remember, I just remember the images of uh, of Willie and some of the pictures were in the next day's papers. It, it, it was just a, a really, it was a really sore, a really kind of wounding time and period for the club. You know, it was one of these things nobody wanted to do it. Nobody wanted this to happen. Even the people that were kind of, well, pe- maybe people did want the manager to go, but they didn't. It, because it was Willie, it was it just was so close to home. And uh, you know, I think there would have been demonstrations against other managers that that people just couldn't bring themselves to do with Willie because you know it, it, it was one of your own. Um, more more than that, I mean, it was the, the greatest player we've ever had. You know, so incredibly painful period. But um, you know, in hindsight, with twelve games to go, uh, it, it was the right thing to do because the change of manager. Seemed to provide a lift, um, albeit there was still some, still some turbulence in the results to come. But um, I, I, would we have gone down with Willie Miller still in charge? I think it was heading that way. Yeah, I mean Willie will tell you. Obviously, he'll tell you it. It was happened. It happened too quick. We weren't even bottom when he was sacked, which is not a, a great word in his favour. It has to be said, but. I think what all, all too often happens in these situations is obviously someone who's already part of the management team is brought in as caretaker. And Roy Aiken, obviously, in that uh, those circumstances, was made caretaker. And, you know, we've got the not uh, inconsiderable task of playing Rangers at home. And it, it was an incredibly emotional day. You know, cries of one Willie Miller going around the ground. and But we won. And again, we're thinking, right... This is it. We can look ahead. We can maybe even make a run in the Scottish Cup. We got rather disabused of that notion the following week. Uh, Roy Aiken's second game in charge is Stenhouse Muir. And as we're recording this, it's on the anniversary of the <laughs> Stenhouse Muir debacle. Um, you know, we were able to finally get a win against them this season. Maybe get a little bit of closure. But good God, if one result has ever haunted a football club, I would say it's that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, as you say, Aitken's first two games, the Rangers game, 2-0 at Pataudry, I was at that one, I wasn't at Opal View the following week, um, but you know, again, although it was a, a cup game and when you're in a league relegation battle, I mean, it, talk about, you know, you're talking about Scott Rodriguez sucking the kind of the morale and spirit out of the club, well, you know, Stenhouse Muir did that as well, um, and it just felt like you were right back in at square one, and Looking at it here, what do we then, uh, Richard? You'll you'll have it there, but five six games without a win in the league after after Sinhousmuir. Yeah, there's just no reaction, is there? I mean, even in the games, crucial games against the sides around us. I remember there was a game at Fir Hill against Partick Thistle, who may have been bottom or may have just been ahead of us in ninth. We go two 0 up. Stephen Wright scores from basically inside his own half, and we're two 0 up, and we we should be seeing the game out from there and moving on from there, but. We end up drawing 2-2. It's just a season of microcosm, really, of how we couldn't hold on to leads. We couldn't see games out. Then Kilmarnock pitch up at Pataudry, and we lose for the first time, only time, in the Premier League era, for fourth time to Kilmarnock. We batter them that day. We absolutely batter them at Pataudry. But they take the points. At the end of that game... The Don support could have been forgiven for just drifting away silently or booing the team off because they were still bottom and looking increasingly certain to go down. But they didn't. They cheered them off the pitch. They clapped them off the pitch. And again, I just think that was just that bond again being shown that if you're going to work for us, if you're going to fight for us, we'll be there for you. Mm. And over the closing weeks of the season, that absolutely came true. Yeah, yeah, it did. Well, I mean, the the the, the time that I really remember, uh, I remember this quite vividly. I mean, first of all, the Motherwell game. Uh, I, I'm sorry if I'm skipping ahead because I know that we played Rangers and Celtic after Kamarnik, but we lost at Motherwell with four games to go, midweek game. I remember listening to it on the radio. We got beat two one, and I thought that was it. Um, I think we were four points adrift at the bottom. Yep. You know, it's. It's April the 18th, I'm looking at it here, April the 18th. I remember listening to it and thinking, that's it, we're away. That was the game that put us down. The following game was Hearts at Tynecastle. To put this in a kind of personal context for me, I went to that game as a supporter behind the goal, Dodds' late winner and all the rest of it. And then the following game was Dundee United. And the Dundee United game was the first game that I covered for the Prison Journal as the Aberdeen reporter. And... Uh, as you'll know, if Aberdeen had lost that game, they were relegated. <laughs> so it was a hell of an introduction to being the Aberdeen writer for the P&J, you know. But um, so I did that kind of trans- that literally that transformation between one game and the next from from watching them behind the goal at Tynecastle, an incredible climax to that result in terms of what the game meant and uh, to, to get the winner with, with three four minutes to go. And then the following week, the Dundee United game, and obviously you'll give it context, Richard, but, you know, the United game, if Aberdeen had lost, they were down. Yeah, well, I mean, at Tynecastle, we could have been down. I mean, um, yeah. going into the last few minutes, uh, we were drawing at, uh, at Tynecastle, 1-1, then United were drawing against Hibs, so you're looking at a goal the wrong way at Tannadice, and you're, you're six points away, and, you know, you, you could have been practically down that day. But, Billy Dodds... <laughs> finally comes to the fore uh, we get the celebration to end all celebrations uh, in the away end that day 
marked you at that ground, 20 foot high. Hearts were still in trouble at that point as well, of course. I remember getting epically, epically drunk after that. <laughs> just, just even if it was just a last hurrah, just getting ridiculously drunk. Once he well, came... you remember how big that, that terrace was at Tyne Castle, the away end. I mean, you could have a huge following and it still could could feel pretty roomy, you know. But mm-hmm. um, but that, uh, yeah, that, that day was extraordinary. The, the, the reaction to the late Dodds goal was just incredible. I mean, it was a proper hugging strangers moment, absolutely. And um, we, we might hug each other. <laughs> quite possibly, Michael. Quite possibly. <laughs> Any, anybody within a twenty-yard radius was getting it for me that day. <laughs> I'm sure I would have remembered. <laughs> and it set it up for uh, for Pataudry the following week. And I, I have never known a weekend like it around Aberdeen. I think I wasn't really old enough to remember seventy-nine, eighty, and the title win. The title wins in 83, 84 and 84, 85 were, were more like processions, really. And you win a Scottish Cup, the feeling in the city isn't immediate because I guess you've got 25,000 fans trying to make their way back from Glasgow, you know what I mean? But yeah, that weekend yeah. of a Dundee United game, maybe less so for you, Michael, because you were having to file your work, but uh, that Saturday night in Aberdeen will actually probably stay with me as long as the game did. The game was as nervy as hell. Somehow we roused ourselves to play some pretty good football. That second goal by uh, Duncan Shearer that day is a magnificent bit of football. That first time finish from Duncan, just nerveless, just like he's back in the playing fields of Fort William, just banging it into a net without a keeper. <laughs> it's magnificent. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, you're absolutely right. And listen, don't, don't, don't think for a moment that having to work curtailed my... <laughs> social enjoyment of that uh, result. But yeah, I remember the whole build-up, it was incredibly tense uh, you know, just from a supporter's point of view, but also from a journalistic point of view, because it would have had huge consequences for the, you know, for the, for the obviously for the city, for for the newspaper that I was working at, if Aberdeen had gone down. Um, it sticks in my mind that we gave Dundee United a pretty small ticket allocation for that game. Um, maybe only a, a thousand or a couple of thousand at most, because we knew that Aberdeen tickets would they would sell um, they would sell no problem. I think as it turns out, there was two home games left. There was the Dundee United game and there was the playoff, and the tickets for those two they sold over forty thousand tickets for the two games. And that night, it just there was just a massive sense of release and relief that they had come through it, and. There was Falkirk still to go. There was a potentially the playoff that uh, was still to come. But I think everybody really kind of probably, even if they wouldn't have admitted it, they probably deep down thought that's the corner turned now. Yeah, I think you're right. And if, if people weren't feeling that on the Saturday night or weren't prepared to say that on the Saturday night after Dundee United, by the time you got to Brockville the following week, there was a bounce, there was a confidence, there was a swagger back amongst the Aberdeen support, which is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous <laughs> given the season yeah. we'd had. Totally, but but it was there. I mean, there's absolutely no question. The mood was completely... I, I don't remember any nervousness about that uh, Falkirk game at all. I mean, Aberdeen took a huge support down. I mean, I'm, there was seven or 8,000. They were behind both goals. And I, I remember... You know, you'll not thank me for the comparison, but I thought this this is what it must be like if you're a Rangers and Celtic, you know, going for a league title or something. You just swamp a place with numbers, and, and Aberdeen did it at Brockville that day. And um, I, I don't remember any apprehension about not getting the result. 
I, I remember the game being pretty straightforward, I think, 2-0 win, and then the results elsewhere meant that it would be a playoff. but I, I don't know. I, I don't remember feeling any tension about anything after the Dundee United game. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, the, the fact that Hearts beat Motherwell that day and put us in the playoff was, was even a surprise. We just kind of felt that things had turned to such an extent that we were going to get out of this completely scot-free, but it turns out that Alex McLeish couldn't quite do us a favour at Tynecastle that day. So we move on into the playoff, and and yeah, it was weird because it, it seemed like our work had been done, but Dunfermline had been a good side. They narrowly lost out in the first division title race. They came up with Tawdry, and when they made it 1-1, I think there was definitely a collective intake of breath. Of course, Craig Robertson scored the Dunfermline goal uh, that day. There was yeah. definitely a kind of... Um, well, 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 pal. Yeah, absolutely. And latterly, a scout up here. I think there was definitely a kind of right a reassessment, a kind of realignment. Okay, we do have to get back to work here. And fortunately, well, again, it, it, it's Duncan Shearer again. Great ball through from Brian Irvin, but just... To take it basically on the bounce like that from 25 yards out and find it, find the corner of the net so unnervingly, to do it in a situation like that, to have the balls to do that, it, it's, it spoke volumes about Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny, you know, we were talking earlier on about the kind of the complacency that can sit in when you're at home at St Marin on Stenhouse Muir in Queen of the South. And, you know, that, there was definitely a sense of, um, uh, you know, the the, 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 the the battle had been fought and won going into those playoffs and, and that could have been that could have been dangerous, but I think the players were playing with confidence as well by then. You know you know, they scored they scored two at Hearts, they scored two against United, they scored two at Falkirk, and then it was three in both legs of the playoffs. So there was a there was a release and a freedom there. And at the end of the day, when you look back at that team, there was good players in that side. That, you know, just made it all the more remarkable that they were in such a bloody mess in the first place. You know, oh, yeah, totally. Snelders, Snelders McKimmy, Irvin had a great season. Heatherston, not a great player, of course, but I mean, he was, he had a bit of skill and he had, and he delivered in those closing weeks. Shearer, Joe Miller, quality, Dodds, Jess, Stephen Glass. You know, I mean, it, it, honestly, it, it defied belief that they got into such a, such a, a into quicksand that, to, to the, degree, the degree they did that season. No, totally, and it, it's just an object lesson, you know, that in a small league, a team of uh, league of ten teams, and there is always that opportunity to be to be dragged down and pulled down into it, uh, regardless of your reputation, regardless of the players at your um, disposal. Second leg at them, Furman. I, I think the main moment for me that stands out, the kind of release on the pressure, was the opening goal that evening. Didn't come till the start of the second half, but it, it just felt like on a lovely, beautiful, warm May evening that finally this kind of two-month-long nightmare um, was coming to an end. I'm kind of repeating myself here, Richard, but I just remember the last two, three games almost being almost being like a celebration. Uh, you know, even as you say, it wasn't until East End Park that um, that it was confirmed, of course. But we just just the mood, just the numbers, just the the following and the noise that the supporters were making. 16,000 at that playoff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't remember the split off the top of my head, but Aberdeen would have probably taken half of that, maybe. I'd you have know, thought I mean, so. I'd have thought so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... it was. Um, it, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, 
at the end of the day, you have to kind of get the tone right because all you're doing is celebrating something that you shouldn't really have been worrying about anyway for a club of Aberdeen's resources. I mean, it's not arrogant to say Aberdeen shouldn't be in that kind of mess. They finished below Partick, they finished below Kilmarnock, they finished well below Falkirk that season. Um, but it did feel like something celebrating because Aberdeen aren't a yo-yo club. They're not a club that goes up, goes up and down. They've never been down. And, I'm, and I think it would have really... It would have really harmed us and scarred us. God Almighty, we've had enough scars over the last 25 years, but that would have been that would have been a real psychological wound if Aberdeen had been relegated. Even if you come back up, because you know you've, you've lost something that's pretty special. That kind of that record of never having gone down. No, of course, and the very fact that who we put down as well. I mean, it was almost <laughs> unthinkable that. Again, Wait, who was it? We, <laughs> I can't remember some some wee team, some wee Martin. Maybe you can tell us. Yeah, well, it was well. I think we, I think everybody listening will know. But of course, it was Dundee United. Um, well, there's something there I want to just pick up on, and it, I mean, it's revisionist history, perhaps, say that um, it would have benefited Aberdeen to go down. Not a school of thought that I am remotely um, involved in in any way. Um, but I mean, it, it, pr- it probably did help Dundee United. It helped them kind of regroup a little bit. As you mentioned there, Michael, Aberdeen have never been relegated, never gone down. I think that the relief that comes from winning the two-leg playoff and okay, and it finished six-one in aggregate overall was. I think that for a team of Aberdeen stature, there would have been a huge a sense of shame of for being relegated, which is why the celebration I think was while it was it wasn't over the top. I think the celeb- whatever celebrations was were well and truly justified. Uh, uh, man, I don't think any good would have come at all from no. uh, going down that season. Even if they'd come back straight away, you know, even if the ch- the, um, the first division season had been, you know, an easy immediate return for Aberdeen with lots of wins and the kind of, you know, you feel good about winning a lot of games. But it's not the same, you know. I mean, I think your your you know your rivals have endless, eternal uh, amusement about the fact that you've been relegated. You've lost the record of never having gone down. There's financial consequences from, from going down. You would lose... You would, we would have lost some of the players that we wanted to keep. Um, and just the whole thing would have diminished and reduced the club. And it would have... It, it would have it, I, mean, I talked earlier about how the whole battle with relegation kind of reset the parameters as far as I was concerned and maybe some other fans too I think that would have been even more marked if they had actually gone down because you would think you know you've lost something quite precious um, if if we'd gone down so no I don't don't subscribe to that I can see the sense sometimes with clubs that that bump along the bottom of the Premier League in England or, or the Premiership up here, you know, and every season's a, a grim <clears throat> battle to kind of hang on. You can go down and you can be, you know, re- refreshed and replenished and come back up. I think Hibs had a good season when they went down uh, around 98 time and, and got good crowds and came back up feeling pretty good about themselves. But no, I don't think it would have applied to Aberdeen. I think it would have been really damaging and... Um, Really demoralising, and I think knowing the kind of grumpy nature of our fans, I think a lot of them would have maybe just said to, to hell with us and and and, uh, and and not come back, you know. Yeah, totally. They can, they can certainly for clubs of a certain stature be that sort of cleansing fire of relegation, where you know you have just spent years kind of battling grimly 
if you ask Hamilton fans right now, I, I wonder what their response would be. Whether they'd be happy to take to take a relegation hit and then you know have a, a couple of seasons of winning and presumably entertaining football in the championship. Whereas I think for clubs of a over a certain size, it does. It just diminishes you, and it diminishes you forever. I mean, it's all right for the likes of Dundee United. Yeah, yeah, of course. Always, always <laughs> pumping up the town, you know? I mean, I, 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 I hear some of those sides don't even is come it, back at the first time I've asked them. Does anybody listen to this that's not Aberdeen fans, by the way? Because that was a joke, just in case. <laughs> I think that's unlikely, Michael. M- mind you, mind you, when you're on, who knows? <laughs> uh, even even fewer than you <laughs> Well, it will, let's well we'll say we'll say it for their benefit. If there are any Dundee United fans out there listening, how's the championship going for you? Hope you're having fun down there. Um, we'll maybe see you in five or six years. Is that okay for you, Michael? <laughs> that was an important clarification there. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, that was that was ninety four ninety five. As I said at the start, Richard, an absolute an absolute roller coaster um, of a season. Thankfully, with. A relatively happy end. I mean, well, if 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 we'd gone down, um, firstly, prob- this this podcast probably wouldn't be a thing. Um, but also, I don't think we'd be reviewing it anyway. Uh, but just one of those seasons where, and no, I was. Um, you guys are were very lucky to be able to go to the pub after some of these games. I was fourteen at the time, so um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to enjoy them as much, enjoy the the after match celebrations as much as you guys did. So your memory should be much much sharper, is what you're saying. So you would th- you would think, uh, but there's I was when I was I was going over this, and um, I even sat and watched like some watched some of the red TV stuff, and there's there's just huge gaps there. I don't know I don't know what what I was doing. Too much Sega, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I mean my memory is awful for uh, the entire entire years of Aberdeen games that uh, I struggle to really remember that with any great detail or fondness to be honest with you. Um, but that that when or the, certainly the climax of that season um, was incredibly dramatic and vivid and exciting. But I mean we shouldn't really airbrush it too much. That season was bloody horrible to be honest with you. I mean it was so depressing and demoralising and. You were gripped by a kind of fear that um, that this is going to happen and we're we're not escaping this. And you know, I remember the night of the Motherwell game, that one I mentioned earlier. It was just horrible. You you just felt numb. And thankfully, that was that was as low as it as it got. And and then five straight wins in the end to, to changed the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to pick up on. I think you talked about Michael about the the support almost being like. It was in the final stages of a title race. Well, I guess for me, in my lifetime, going to away games, the only time it's felt similar with that need to be at every game was in the run-in to season uh, 1991. And yeah. we, all, we all know what happened at the end there. We won't go into it. Uh, just that, that you have to be there. You know, you, you're going to drop everything. You're going to change all your plans to make sure you're at the game. I, I don't think I missed one for the last kind of nine or ten games. The other side to it is definitely there was a there was that bond there, and I think the club maybe exploited it in the following summer. They had the share issue, obviously, but they were able to take it forward as a team into the beginning of the following campaign. And obviously, we won the league cup with you know under Roy Aiken, who proved to be 
not the tremendous man manager that you might have thought over the closing stages of that, that season, but with a lot of the same flaws in the team that have been apparent during the course of season uh, 94-95. It's very telling, I think, that despite the fact it was a struggle for many, many months, that clearly in our mentions uh, on social media in the last day or two, it's, it, it's a season that resonates closely with a lot of people and they would tell you it's probably one of their favourite seasons supporting the Dons. Yeah, I, I was looking at the, the, the tweets that you were getting since posting the original message and it was uh, uh, that really struck me as well, just how many people came on and, and um, you know the different memories of, the, of, of that period. And uh, Yeah, I, I must admit that just the way the supporters reacted to uh, from the Dundee United game on uh, was an eye-opener, really, in terms of... Because you're never quite sure. I mean, you don't know how a support is going to react in a in a, in a relegation battle like that. It was a novelty for Aberdeen, and, and it just... It, it totally caught the imagination of the city, and, and fans were absolutely wide awake to the dangers and to the, um, to the need to be there. I mean, that, when I went down to that Hearts game... You know, I can't remember. It wasn't the support wasn't as big as it was for the subsequent away games, but it was still four thousand, maybe four five thousand. But I mean, I went down there thinking we were already gone, you know. But um, coming through that one, it, it then became it then became more of a kind of cause to to see if they could turn it round. But that that was quite a powerful statement, I thought, and 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 it, and it showed that. You know, it almost kind of showed that when the club is really in the gutter, that people will will react and will respond and will will rally to it. You know, um, again, it was only avoiding relegation, but it was it was an important period for the for the city and the club. And of course, the following season they finished third, so it, it did feel and won the league cup. So it felt like that felt like a bit of a, a, a kind of restoration of. Of some sort of natural order, you know, albeit there were more, more problems and struggles to come, but um, it, it, it did feel that Aiken had stabilised it for a while. Before we just wrap up for this week, um, Michael used the words dramatic and exciting a few minutes ago. Um, so we're going to discuss something that's not going to be dramatic or exciting, I'm sure, um, which is a trip to Perth to face St Johnston. But one thing we do have, certainly Michael anyway, is that um, a win on Saturday would equal the club record of seven consecutive away wins. What do you attribute that to, that we are so so much more consistent away from home at the moment? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, Martin, to be honest, other than maybe maybe teams aren't sitting in against us and that we know with a little bit more room to play into the, the, the pace and the side can have some joy. Um, I, I, I'm not too sure. I, I, mean, I was at the earlier visit to um, McDermott, which was one each, I think, which was pretty unmemorable. I'm going again this weekend. I'm not particularly having high expectations, but... <laughs> If you're telling me that we're going to set a club record, is this in the Premier League era or is this... No, no, all time. All time. All time? Yep. All time record? Mm-hmm. Wow. Equaling or beating? Equaling. Oh, I can't get excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, what's the, the, record, next, what's the, the next away game? The record is set, well, unfortunately, uh, after this it's Parkhead. Or fortunately, depending on your point of view, oh, it's Parkhead. All the better, so. all the better. 
So there you go. Um, right, okay, so we eat cola club record, right, okay, well, I'll, I'll have the champagne on ice. <laughs> <laughs> I think in this little run, we've we've won games of all different hues, you know, we, we've gone to Ibrox and really ground out a win, uh, we've had more comfortable afternoons in, in say, Paisley, or, or even Easter Road was fairly comfortable, or obviously the win at Stenhouse Muir. So I don't know if there is any any one thing, but, you know, sometimes teams just get this. They get this kind of, like, homesickness where they do struggle to perform at home, and it has been our away form keeping us propped up this season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't know where the... I don't really know where the season is heading now in terms of the league. I, I must admit, I kind of suspect that it's going to finish Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, Kilmarnock. Um, what are they, Rangers 5 ahead of Aberdeen? Yeah. Not, I'm not sure Aberdeen will claw that back. I think they probably have enough to to stay ahead of Kilmarnock. So you know, for me, I must admit I'm kind of more uh, excited about the cup quarter final against whoever that may be, um, and to see where the team goes in that. I'm, 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 I think this league season will probably probably run out, uh, you know, fairly undramatically, but might be wrong. No, I mean, obviously, I mean, the league went on the 26th of December or whatever it was, um, and any hope of any challenge from outside Petodre was just wishful thinking on the part of certain members of the press. But as we've seen over the past few weeks, so of course the Cup's going to be a big one, but I think it would be foolish to write off the league given that, given the European places that are on offer there. I think, uh, well, only... oh, yeah, 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 totally. And I mean, there, there, you know, there's, there's decent money. I mean, Hearts are three points off us at the moment. So, I mean, as much yeah. as we want to be looking ahead of us um, in the table, we need to be keeping an eye on what's behind it. Was Other results actually kind of went our way if we accept that, you know, we are now past the point where Celtic uh, dropping points is a good thing for us and we, we want Celtic to win games not involving us. And unfortunately, we are at that point, despite it only being mid-February. So... I don't know, it's such a missed opportunity. St Johnston, there is no underestimating the job that Tommy Wright has done and continues to do. And I would say they probably are a bit more attacking-minded than they have been in recent years. And I think we really will have to be at our best to get a win there. Yeah, and we can look at Shocknessy, can't we? And um, decide what we think about him and whether we think that he's uh, better than we remember and whether we'd be happy with him coming back. Um the last I heard, the club was still waiting to hear whether he uh, was going to sign a pre-contact. I think, unless I've missed any conclusion to that, but um, uh, I think Aberdeen believed that he would be keen to come back, but hasn't. He hasn't actually committed to it. So whether he is the recover, whether he's the replacement for, or the planned replacement for McKenna, or whether it's a planned replacement for Hoban going back to Watford, don't know. But I, 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 must, I saw a couple of St Johnson games against Celtic, and I was watching watching him with interest just to see um, if he was better than I remembered at Aberdeen. So that's our show for this week. Um, it's been it's been fun going back over back over some old memories. We'll we'll have have the coverage of the game on the feed on Saturday. Uh, you never know. This, is, this, this might be the one that's the really exciting one. Even the 4-3 down there a couple of, weeks, a couple of seasons ago was was still a dull 4-3. <laughs> I don't know how they managed it, but... <laughs> it's, there must be, it must be like one of those weird things. There's like a, like a micro-environment or something that just sucks all the life out of it down there. Yeah, new, new stadium syndrome. <laughs> Let, let's save that for another day. 
Um, so that's been that's been our show for this week. Um, I'll just thank Richard here as always. Richard, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you, Martin. And Michael Grant, it's been a pleasure you having having you back on, Michael. Enjoyed it, Martin. If you're looking to do a special in sort of Matt Armstrong or <laughs> uh, Archie Glenn or that kind of era, then just give me a shout next time. I think we still got yeah. David Beck's number. <laughs> <laughs> I'm next in line, though. Eh? <laughs> You asked first, so um, yeah, you can have first dibs. <laughs> we'll be back next week with another podcast. All it remains is to say, say, come on, you Reds. Come on, you Reds.